Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Yeah, little kids need underwear, right? And so we're going to buy a lot of underwear for kids and other things like hygiene packs. Mm, hygiene, that's nice. People need to brush their teeth. Hopefully you all did. I did today. Jonah, did you brush your teeth today? Good. All right. Balls, people like balls. Those are good. Um, other fun things. Books. So, we're going to be putting stuff together, and we're going to take a rotan. And there's, like, all those kids, I don't know, you could count them, 30 or 40. And then there's another ministry out of the rehab, Estralita does, and she's got 75 kids. So, you know, if you all just really feeling up to it, feeling really big this Christmas, then get on it and start buying some stuff. Carrie, back here, stand up and say, hello, everybody. Carrie is coordinating. She's in charge. She's the gal that will make it all happen. I believe we would love for you all to bring everything that you want to give to all the children in Roatan on the first Sunday of November, whatever date that is, like seven, six, seven. Is that a, see, in America, we do this for seven. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, welcome to America. <laughs> All right, and I think are there other announcements? Life groups. If you're not involved in one, get involved in one. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, if your information has changed or you're a guest, look on the back of the uh, chair and find that QR code and go scan with your phone. Pop up, it comes, and you're just like filling out stuff going, yeah, check me out. I just changed my phone number. Put it in. It's great. We appreciate it. If you're a guest, we just love to know that you're here, and that'll be awesome. Okay, good, good, good. So we're um, week three in a series within a series. I don't know, I'm not sure why we call it a series within a series, but that's what Marco calls it. Marco's off having shark week at, you know, he and his boys have been catching sharks at night and taking pictures and sending them to me. And I'm like, dude, Dino is killing you. He's like, no way, man. I'm catching a great white with my bare hands. It's like, whatever, dude. And uh, so then I think he stole one of the sharks from one of the boys and took a picture of it and said, no, I won. I got the biggest one. I don't know. We'll see. He'll probably come back and say, I caught a fish that was this big. It's amazing. Um, but anyway, so fishing stories from Marco. We'll see next week. Um, right now... They didn't lose any fingers, so that's good. Um, so we're doing the Reformation, Kingdom Values. Do we need a modern-day Reformation? Today is Sola Gratia, and uh, the five solas of the Reformation is what we're rolling through. And, and I really love it. Um, last week, Marco gave us the Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. Um, and this... Next few weeks, we're basically rolling through, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. I mean, that's just the way to look at it if you just want to go, okay, what does this whole mean? It's just that. It's that. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by, in Christ, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And that's 
the Reformation, basically, in a nutshell. Um, and so we're done. So have a nice day. Y'all go enjoy your dinner. Um, you know, if you don't know, sola, if you haven't figured it out by now, means alone. Um, for sure, you know, solely, you know, like uh, your sole reason to go to the birthday party is to eat cake. Your sole uh, reason, right? You go for cake um, or presents, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so last week, Marco gave us some convincing proofs on the authority of God's word. He talked about that a lot. And I think that, you know, just really, you know, I get really jazzed by that. And so when I was listening to the sermon, you know, and he started busting out the whole textual, you know, pieces, you know, like if you take Iliad's Odyssey and da da da, you know, Iliad, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, um, and you say, how many original text, you know, how many texts do we have? How many copies? How close are they to the original time of the event? You know, and all that stuff that you start glazing over going, yeah, yeah, that's great. Charlie, whatever. What does that mean? You know, and then we find that the Bible has texts that are within, a, you know, a couple hundred years, the oldest texts that we can find, copies of the text. You know, you're like, oh, that's amazing. Whereas the other places, you know, oh, a thousand years removed. That, yeah, I get all geeked out by that and we'll just stop with that. Um, but here's the thing, um, the Word of God doesn't really need to be defended, you know, because it says it, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the soul and the spirit, dividing joints and marrow, right? It's that, that kind of stuff, you know, it's kind of like, you know, um, if you have a criminal you know, you don't have to, you don't have to explain a bullet. You just load it and fire it. Wait a minute, I don't believe in bullets. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, um, God's word is powerful and uh, we just need to load it in our heart. and We need to fire it. We need to let it go. We need to send it and uh, let it do its work. And so I love that that's what Martin Luther, he restored for us. He regained a passion for that. So in, you know, October 31st, 1517, so that's a little over 500 years ago, um, he nailed, you know, his 95 theses to the door, the Wittenberg Cathedral, you know, and, and made a stand for the authority of God's word and grace and faith and the glory of God, etc. You know, so he has, you know, through scripture, he has reestablished that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ for the glory of God. That's it. Um, but we do need to, uh, we do need to start at God's word. And so just want to put that reminder in front of you again. And I want to throw up a quick scripture that I think is pretty awesome. Uh, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, other places the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please him, you know? And faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ, yes. So without faith, we're hosed. We're in big trouble. We're doomed. But look at this. Faith, see, here. this is what I think is so awesome, is that your faith came from hearing the word. All right? And even your hearing came through the word of Christ. So think about it. You know, have you ever been, you know, talking to somebody and say, you know, I don't know, Crystal may have said this to me once or twice before, you know, did you hear me? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, you're talking. <laughs> but what did I say? Look at my face. I mean, we had to do it with the kids a lot, you know. Look at me and repeat. You know, did you really hear what I said? Because sometimes we're just like, yeah, 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 I heard that. I heard that before. Sure, yeah, sure. You know, but there's a difference between just hearing it. It's just, okay, look, it went in my ear. It tickled those little nerves and blah, 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 signals in my brain. There's a whole different hearing that happens where it's like all of a sudden it goes in here and hits me in the heart. You know, that's a whole nother story. But look what it says. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word of Christ is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it comes in our ears and goes into our heart. It does things in us. It produces faith and all that. So we got that from Martin Luther. And we got to thank him for that for sure, right? Yes, thank him. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, but you know what's really stunning is to think that in Martin Luther's day, you know, here he was, he had these crazy, this crazy experience where he was like almost going to die in a thunderstorm. He's like, God, please save me and I'll be a monk. And so, you know, he's like, okay, great. And so he, he gets saved. He makes it through the storm. He's like, okay, I guess I got to go be a monk instead of a lawyer. And so off he goes. But um, he got into the monastery thing and priests and monks, they weren't expected to know God's word or read it or anything. You know, it's like, so, but when you came in as, quote, a novice, they would give you a copy, a borrowed copy of God's Word. And say, well, here, you can read this if you want to. All right, okay. And so you could read it, and that's great. So they would read it. And then when they became monks and entered the official monkdom, uh, they surrendered their copy. It's like, give it back. <laughs> You're done with that. You can read these scholarly books on philosophy. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like, okay. And, but Martin Luther... Um, was a bit, um, he was a bit obsessed. And he was obsessed with this problem that he saw. He's like, I have sin. And so he was like crazy obsessive about his sin. I mean, it would make, you know, <laughs> all of us would go, wow, dude, maybe he's got a problem and he's some therapy. I don't know. He probably did need therapy. But, um, but he would spend hours and hours obsessing over his sin. And so he would get, he would go to the monk library and he would get a copy of the Bible and he would just pour over it, read it, read it. And he was looking for a way out. He was looking for a solution, looking for, okay, how am I going to, you know, appease this wrathful, righteous God? And, uh, and so he was just really, I mean, he was seriously obsessed. And the other monks, they made fun of him and said, oh, there goes Martin Luther, Bible boy. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was just how bad it was for him. But he was, he was obsessed and he would go to confession, you know, like they do in the Catholic Church, you know, and he had this one guy who was his confessor that he had to talk to, a guy named Stalpitz. Anyway, stop it. Um, you know, he would go and he would start confessing and he'd be like, okay, so yeah, so I'm pretty sure I had an ill thought towards my neighbor. But wait, I had an ill thought towards my neighbor because... I was jealous of something that he had and I was jealous of something he had because inside my heart I'm covetous and I'm covetous because... And he would just sit there and just like... And he would just keep digging down, 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 down. And some say that one time he spent six hours in the confessional and his... You know, this stop it guy was basically, stop it. I mean, he finally went to him and was like, dude, you've got to 
you've got to give yourself a break a little bit. And he was like, I can't give myself a break. And he was obsessed with that. And so then he got to the point where he was angry with God about his righteousness. It's like, oh, you required us from me. And uh, I have no way. And so then one day, he was in this room in a tower. And at the bottom of the tower, the bottom floor of the tower was the toilet. Okay, and just fun fact, and so the, they called it, a, uh, I can't even, I should have wrote the name down, what they called this tower, basically referred to, well, this is the John. And, uh, but he was in a room above the John, and he was wrestling with God over righteousness and, and whatnot, and in Romans 1.17, so Romans 1.17 says, you know, that we've received a righteousness of God that comes through faith. And he was just like, God, why do you require all this? And he said, and then he said it was just like the light came on and he realized that righteousness was from God as a gift. And grace basically opened up to him, and he recognized that, oh, my soul, this is a whole new world. And he basically says that, you know, God revealed his glory to him while he was sitting above the toilet, moaning over his nastiness of his own heart. And God came to him and said, I can take care of that with this simple thing called faith. And it was just amazing, and it changed him. It put zeal in his soul and steel in his spine to be true to God's word and the glory of the gospel of grace. So he, f he realized that Scripture alone was where we had to start, and then he discovered grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and nothing that he brings to the table. He, brought, he said, I bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing to the table, which is the beauty of grace, which is why today we are on sola gratia, saved by grace alone. How do you define grace? Um, it's difficult. You know, have you ever got a new car? You get a new car and you see that car everywhere you drive, right? Oh, look, I just got a Toyota Prius or something. That would be awful. I had a Chevy Chevette once. You don't see those everywhere. Uh, except in Mexico. Um, but anyway, um, good times. Um, but you see, you get a new car and you see it everywhere. You know, like I see red um, Chrysler Pacificas everywhere. It's just like, I thought I was the only one. I'd never seen a red Chrysler Pacifica before until I got one. And so now I do. Uh, and as I've been studying this whole business of grace, uh, and every time now I'm reading the Bible, all I see is grace. I mean, it's just like, oh, look, there goes another Chevy Chevette I'm driving by. Um, you know, but how do you define grace? I don't know. Uh, when I was a kid and growing up and in youth groups, you probably had people, you know, give you this one, you know, the acronym, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? You ever, tell me you've heard that one. No? Yeah? All right, good. I'm not alone. God's riches at Christ's expense. It really doesn't do justice to that, though, honestly, because it just kind of feels like, oh, look, you know, some kind of an exchange. I don't, I don't know. It's something. Um, God's power displayed in the gospel of grace for salvation and a life of hope and victory over sin and death feels a bit more mm, to me than God's riches at Christ's expense. 
God's power displayed in the gospel of grace for salvation and a life of hope and victory over sin and death, mm, that's something you can live with, right? Oh, God's riches at Christ's expense. Whatever. I don't know. Anyway, every definition of grace, though, feels kind of inadequate because it's hard to comprehend anything that's infinite. You know, when you boil it down. Infinity is really difficult. Um, yeah. You know, the word grace is used 155 times in the New Testament. How about that? 100 times in the writings of Paul. 24 of those were in the book of Romans. I pretty much read all of Romans this past week because I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's true. It's there. It's everywhere. Grace is everywhere. Chevettes are not, but grace is. And it was amazing. Um, and I just, oh, God's power displayed in the gospel for salvation. But, you know, um, we're asked the question, you know, do we need a modern-day revival? Is it time for another reformation? Do we need a modern-day reformation? And if you look around, I mean, you don't have to look hard. I mean, dude, just, you know, pull out your phone, pull up a news app and go, oh, you know, just, you know, oh, really? That? Mm, again? Here we are. It's, it's horrible. You know, it's, it's desperate. And we look, and we look at in America and we're like, oh, this is really bad. But look, I got an email the other day, and, got a, and it was a quote from a church leader in Afghanistan. And uh, if you want to talk about having it bad, I think it's really bad over there for them. Because you know, they're meeting for church in fear for their life, right? And uh, he says, the crisis in Afghanistan has taught us that no number of resources, training, or occupation can change a nation. The only way to truly change a nation is through disciple-making. That's through grace being spread into a culture, you know. And so next time you get discouraged, think about grace and say, that's what our culture needs. Our culture needs grace. We need to be focused on getting grace to our culture. Um, there's this guy, A.W. Pink. Um, he was kind of a mentor to Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a mentor to... Um, R.T. Kendall, who was just here not long ago, and he said this, all genuine reforms or revivals in the churches of God must have as their basis a plain declaration of this doctrine of grace. The tendency of Christians is like that of the world to shy away from this truth, which is the very sum and substance of the gospel. Within 50 years of the death of the last apostles, so far as we can now learn, the gospel of God's grace almost ceased to be preached. I mean, think about that. He said, instead of evangelizing, the preachers of the second and third centuries gave themselves to philosophizing. Philosophy took the place of the simplicity of the gospel of grace. Wow. And I was like, 50 years ago. What was that? 1971? Yeah. I was like, where was I 50 years ago? What was I doing 50 years ago? You know, I can barely remember Vietnam was happening and whatnot. I had a little Vietnam POW bracelet that I wore to school and that kind of a deal. But, you know, 50 years ago isn't that long ago. 50 years ago, we didn't have car alarms. We didn't have house alarms. We didn't have deadbolts on our doors. Uh, you know, I mean, we left our car in the on position and just pulled the key out. 
You know, and so you could just go. I mean, as a kid, I was like, dude, I could go out and I could just start the car. <laughs> you know, of course, I didn't. I'd be in big trouble. I'd get a whooping. Um, but, uh, yeah, 50 years ago, think about that. In 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus, they had already lost grace. And uh, then God brought this guy called Augustine, and he's like really all about grace, and it was crazy. Anyway, so we're commanded in Scripture to grow in grace as well as the other solas. Listen to this. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Okay? Sometimes it feels like that's what the world wants to do to me. It wants to just carry me away and carry you away. And your mind sometimes just carries you away. But listen to this. Verse 18. But grow in grace. Sola gracias. Gracia. Gracia. Yes. And knowledge. Sola fide. Now, why is that? Okay, I'll just tell you why, how I got that. Is, uh, sola fide, in case you're curious. Hebrews 11.1, 1, stuck it up there, just for those that are wondering. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Other translations say faith is being sure of what you hope for. It's knowing. Yeah, anyway, it's knowing. Faith is knowing. So I was like, okay, sounds like, Sola fide to me, grow in knowledge, grow in knowledge of the scripture, grow in your faith, okay? Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever to the day of eternity. All right, so concept of grace, it doesn't exist in any other religion. It's only in Christianity. I mean, you stop and think about that for just a second. There is no other religion where God did all the work to redeem people. There is no other religion on the planet where that happens. In fact, some cultures that have had no contact at all with a Christian worldview, uh, when missionaries back in the 1800s were trying to translate the scripture for them, they would get to grace and they'd be looking and couldn't find equivalent words even in the language of some of these these uh, people groups that they had gone to. That, I mean, there was no concept of grace, period. There is no concept of grace outside of the gospel. You're just not going to find it. And sometimes we just kind of get used to that a little bit. Oh, hey, hey, who's going to say grace for the meal? I was like, grace? You know, that's what I was all, anyway. Um, but, so this, it just doesn't exist. It does not exist. We need grace. Why do we need grace? I've got three reasons. Because sin is worse than we think. Because the world and our flesh tries to condemn us. And because we need power to overcome our pride and our thorns. Those are the three reasons that we're going to deal with. So let's look at number one. Why do we need grace? Because sin is worse than we think. A high vision of God's holiness gives us a clear vision of sin's horror. Straight up. That was Isaiah last week. Isaiah Chapter 6, you've read it. He saw God high and lifted up. He heard the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And what did he say? I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm sinful. It's bad. So we need to have 
a clear vision of the holiness of God and the grace of God. If we understand who God is and catch a glimpse of his majesty, purity, and holiness, then we are instantly aware of the extent of our own corruption. And when that happens, we fly to grace because we recognize there's no way that we could ever stand before God apart from grace. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're kind of in the same shape as Isaiah sometimes. I mean, oh, the more I see my sin, yikes. But then I want to just deal with something. Uh, I'm excited about Ephesians, okay? This is really pretty awesome. I've always loved Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 has always been, I was like, yes, this is amazing. All of us know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? Well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I'm saved, we're saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? Anyway, but we skip verse 1, so let's go there. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, okay, that's dead, um, in which you once walked, walking dead, following the course of this world, Okay, as if just being dead in your trespasses and sin wasn't enough, Paul just goes on and says, yeah, so look how dead you were. He says, you walked in it and you followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, that's bad. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He said, look guys, not only are you dead, but you follow your own passions. You carry out the desires of your body and your mind, which can be really nasty. And we're by nature, he said, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I think it's hard to imagine being more dead than dead in trespasses and sins. Um, I think if we could just get, you know, an interview with Adam and Eve, they would, they would tell you, yeah, let me just tell you how really bad it is because they went from being not dead to being really dead. And, uh, you know, and of course, if you're in Christ and have experienced grace, you know what it's like to be really dead and to become not dead, uh, which is really pretty awesome. So we get to have the reverse, um, which is super, super fantastic. But then we get to verse four of Ephesians chapter two, but God, the best but God ever, being rich in mercy, mm, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at how grace answers our desperation. I mean, because verse 1 and 2 and 3 paints our desperation seriously, right? You were dead. You walked in it. You were following Satan. You were living in your own passion. You were following your own desires. You're a child of wrath. Arc. Okay, but then look at what he does. It says, verse 5, you were dead in sin, but God made us alive. That's good. You were walking in sin, just cruising. And look at what it says he did. He raised you up and seated you. 
right? Raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you were just walking along, minding, ugh, and then he raised you up and seated you in heaven. That's good. Following the world, what does the world do? The world is chasing stuff. The world is just chasing. I'm just chasing this. I'm chasing that. I'm chasing this. I'm chasing that. If I could only have this, then I would be fine. If I could only get that, then I would be fulfilled. And look at what he says he did in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. He took us from chasing to being immeasurably rich. That's good. We were following the prince of the power of the air. And he showed us kindness in King Jesus. You can follow the prince of the power of the air or you can follow the king. Take your pick. I'll take the king. We were living in passions of the flesh and he removed all that boasting by a gift of grace. We were carrying out desires of the body and the mind and in verse 10, he said, I've made you my workmanship. You were by nature children of wrath. And in verse 10, it says, he created you for good works. That's good stuff. I mean, grace does good stuff here, right? I mean, we need that. See, here's the deal. God did not throw us a life preserver in the sea and say, I hope you can grab hold. Um, yeah, it's really crazy. There's, you know, favorite movie, okay, this is free. I love Castaway with Tom Hanks, old school, right? You know, there's no music at all in it for the whole, until finally he gets rescued and then the music happens. You know, and he's, you know, that last scene, he's laying on his raft and he's, you know, and then here comes this big old ship, you know, and he just rolls over, you know, and he's reaching his hand up, you know, and then they, and then the next scene, he's on an airplane. And it's like, all right, that's awesome. And, uh, and we're thinking, that, what an amazing rescue. And I'm going to tell you that grace rescued us more than that rescue. Because here's the deal. God, I don't even know where I am. Ah, oh, here we go. God did not throw us a life preserver. He dove from the cross to the bottom of the ocean and he pulled up our lifeless soul to the beach and he gave us life. You know, he didn't, mm, he didn't pull us off a raft he didn't throw us a life ring and say, I hope you can reach it. He reached down and pulled our lifeless soul up and said, let me give you life. That's good. Mm. Yeah. So why do we need grace? Because the world in our flesh wants to condemn us. Right? The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ we are surrounded by echoes of the law, which says you must do this, you must do that, you must do this to earn God's favor. We're surrounded by these echoes and our flesh says, yes, I've got to do this, then I'll be better. If only I could just do this, then God will love me. And uh, the law just reveals our sin, but grace reveals God's remedy. Romans 8, 1, gotta love this one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of grace, spirit of life and grace has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done. 
which is grace, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to flesh, but according to the spirit. Grace erases condemnation, folk. It just does. Just erases it. Just says, "Mm." so stop condemning yourself and rest in it. You know? Mm. Yeah. If grace flows from an infinite, inexhaustible creator, then even the very word grace itself opens an inexhaustible warehouse of wonder and blessing for all who will walk in it and not trust any other name than Christ. Inexhaustible. It's, grace comes from an infinite God who has infinite storehouse for you. Why do we need grace? To overcome pride and thorns. This is really cool. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, so, 2 Corinthians, we're all familiar, maybe, I hate it when preachers say that. You're familiar with what the Bible says in Levitations, <laughs> you know. First Hesitations 23.7. Um, no, I'm not familiar with that at all. Philip 66, maybe. I don't know. But, um, so, maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you're not familiar with this. But Paul had a thorn, and it says, three times I pleaded that God would remove it. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah, that's really good. But what we never talk about is what led up to the thorn that Paul wanted removed. And this is really cool. And I want you to see this because in it, we'll see that Paul was so obsessed by grace that nothing else compared to it. Okay? This is amazing. We know, now I'm going to just straight up, scholars, there's not a scholar out there that would say Paul is not talking about himself in this passage right here. But Paul says it like this. Talk about, you know, when you talk about yourself in third person, you know, how weird that is. Okay? Well, here's what he says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. So Paul's talking about himself. He says, I know this guy 14 years ago. Okay, so that's pretty cool. I know this guy 14 years ago. He was caught up into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my own weakness. And I was like, that is the weirdest statement in the world. And I was trying to understand, what is he saying? What, is he, what does he mean with this? And then it just occurred to me because, you know, he gets down into the next part where it's all about grace. And grace had so captivated him that he barely could remember that man from 14 years ago. And that experience from 14 years ago was just a distant, fading memory in the light of the grace that he was experiencing today. As he was seeing grace working through him every step of the way, as he experienced beatings and 
Ugh. You know, as he saw people coming to faith and spread, started churches all over Asia. Here he is. He's like, yeah, who is that guy? Yeah, some dude 14 years ago. Yeah, he saw this amazing thing, whatever, you know. And uh, yeah, sure, he went up to heaven and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, he said, but grace. He said, so he said, if I wish I should, if I should wish to boast, I'd not be a fool. I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul only cared that you would see grace at work and hear grace from his lips. He didn't care to tell you his story of going to heaven, whatnot. He wasn't writing a book about that. He wasn't making a movie, you know, heaven can wait, Kevin can wait, whatever. Um, he just wanted us to see grace at work in him and hear grace spoken. And then he says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So he saw something crazy amazing that, you know, look, all of us are tempted, we are tempted towards having an amazing spiritual experience, memorializing that experience and saying, hey, did I ever tell you about the time that I, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, would you like me to tell you again? Because it's cool. Remember 27 years ago? <laughs> you know, nobody's impressed by what God did in your life 27 years ago. They want to know what's going on right now. You know, and that's what, and that's what Paul said. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Given me. Oh, grace is a gift. Mm, maybe this thorn was a gift of grace. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Spiritual revelation can lead to spiritual conceit, folks. So Paul was given a thorn. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And what did Paul say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What did Paul want? He wanted grace on him. Grace is the power of God. He wanted that resting on him. He was not content with a 14-year-old memory. He wanted grace today. And I hope that's where y'all are too. You want grace today. You need grace today. You need to go take a drink of grace after you leave here. Whatever it is, you need grace. He said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that power of Christ may rest upon me. So, I mean, is that enough for y'all? I mean, is grace enough? I don't know. Is it? You know, is it enough to have the power of Christ, to have grace working in your life? Or do you have to have something else to really feel fulfilled and to be okay? Because Paul said, I don't need any of that. I count everything a loss but to know Christ. For the sake of Christ, then, he says, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. None of us are looking for that, right? Hey, let's go find some more insults. Somebody want to insult me? Persecute me, please, anyone. Um, he says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He said, when I'm weak, 
I am more aware of grace. I experience grace. I see Jesus. When grace is all you have, you will find it's really all you'll ever need. And if you don't believe me, ask the Afghan church because it's all they have. And hopefully it's all you need too. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Grace that can take a guy named John Newton in 17, late 1700s, a former captain of a slave trip, ship who went down and s- captured slaves and sold them into slavery and then got saved and experienced grace. He's the guy that wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that became one of the favorite Negro spirituals of the slave population. This guy was transformed by grace. And we also will be transformed by grace. And our culture can be transformed by grace. But guys, we've got to believe that. And we've got to live that. And we can't live on a 14-year-old memory. We need grace tomorrow. We need grace when we leave here. You need grace when you wake up tomorrow. Yeah, if I say amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Yeah, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yeah, few songs in all of history have a far reach as that. And it's all because it's rooted in grace. Yeah, I'm telling you, the grace of God is a powerful thing, worship team. Hello, worship team. Earth to worship team. Coming on up. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. These are the verses we don't ever sing. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The grace of God is sufficient. It's sufficient for every need that we have sufficient for every struggle that we face so I don't know where y'all are you know you may not have ever experienced grace or maybe you're just at a place where you're like you know I just need someone to pray grace over me right now or I just need I don't know I don't know what you need but we're gonna we're gonna sing 
Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.